Thanks for listening in again this week as we finish up our relationship status series. This week we have been given the special opportunity to hear from three married couples as they discuss topics and answer questions based on the topic of relationship reality. So let's listen in as these couples share their experiences about how they attempt to honor God with their relationships. I told you guys a couple of weeks back that you're going to have the opportunity tonight uh, to hear from some people, and these are those people. Uh, so tonight we're wrapping up. <laughs> tonight we're going to be wrapping up our relationship status series that we've been in. Uh, and we've talked about being single, uh, we've talked about dating, we've talked about courtship, and the past couple of weeks uh, we moved into conversations about marriage and a godly marriage and what roles the husband and the wife are supposed to fill within that marriage and what God expects uh, of us from those roles and, and how we enter into a godly marriage. So pretty much every sermon up until this point has focused on a uh, stage of a relationship status. Uh, but I wanted to give you guys the opportunity tonight to hear from some real people who will share about their real experiences and their real marriages and their real relationships. So tonight isn't about relationship status. Tonight is about relationship reality. Uh, this is where the rubber meets the road, and you guys don't have to take my word for it. You can hear from these people who most of you don't know as well as some of you do, uh, but they're going to be honest and they're going to be truthful, and they're going to pour into you guys. So I want you to give them your undivided attention. I appreciate so much their willingness to be here tonight, uh, which should speak volumes to you guys as well. They want to be here. They want to make a difference in your life, and they want to see you grow up to be men and women of God that honor Him in your relationships and hopefully in your future marriages. Uh, so I've asked them to come and share, and hopefully their insight uh, will help benefit you in your current relationship or maybe in your future one. So with that being said, I want to take some time to introduce them to you. Uh, first off, on the very end here, we have Steve and Myra Carter. Uh, Steve, Myra, how old were y'all when you got married? Uh, I was 28. 23. No, 22. 22. Uh, how, long, how long have you guys been married? We've been married for 32 years July in July this coming year. 32 years. Uh, kids, grandkids, how many of them you got? Can you count them all? Uh, raised two daughters, Mallory and Mackenzie. Uh, one lives in Georgia, one lives in Louisiana. They're both married to uh, preachers. Uh, both of them are in seminary. Uh, got two grandsons by my oldest daughter, Mallory, which I never did get to have a son, so I'm so thankful to God that I have two grandsons. Tell us briefly how you guys met. <laughs> the Steve Carter Show. Go ahead. <clears throat> well, uh, I was a new Christian back in night. I got saved in January of 1985. Uh, I'll tell you my testimony later. But I went to church. I spoke. I, I was a football coach at University of North Alabama, so I had a lot of opportunities when I became a new Christian to go around and talk to different churches and youth groups and whatnot. And I heard about this big church in Muscle Shoals, First Baptist Muscle Shoals. So I went over there one night just to visit. Didn't know anybody. And that is on a Wednesday night, and this beautiful thing right here was a, was a Sunday school teacher. They were having a teacher's meeting or something. I just walked in the service and was, saw her coming out of the lobby, and she looked at me with those big, beautiful, pearly teeth of hers and said, hey. And I said, I got to get me one of these. <laughs> so, you know, I just... <laughs> and. I, I just said, God, man, I, I, I hadn't been a Christian but just a couple of months. And, uh, boy, I prayed, Lord, please, please, please. And he said, just keep me first. Just keep me first. I'm going to take care of you. Just keep me first. I didn't know anything about being a Christian. So, anyway, make a long story short, it's already been long. Uh, about a month later, two months later, it was in March. In May, I was at the same church, probably the next time I went, and went to the church and a buddy of mine who played baseball at UNA, he, he pecked uh, me on the shoulder after the service was over and said, I want you to meet somebody. And I turned around, and who was it? Her. And the rest is history. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Myra. A round of applause for our first couple tonight. 
In the middle here, we have uh, Mr. Harville Scales and his wife. Unfortunately, Dorinda wasn't able to be with us tonight. She had a family emergency come up, uh, but Harville was able to be here with us tonight, so he's going to speak on her behalf, I assume, uh, which could be interesting. Uh, so, Harville, how old were you when you and Dorinda got married? I was 27, and she was 26. Yeah, you just got to get it close to your mouth. Twenty-seven and she was twenty. There you go. All right. How long have you guys been married? We've been married fifty years. Fifty He's years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, tell us how many kids, how many grandkids do you have? Got two kids, a son and a daughter, and I've got four granddaughters. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, the uh, oldest granddaughter is graduating high school this year, and the youngest two are in the sixth grade. They're uh, 10, 11 years old. So tell us, uh, kind of like with Steve and Myra, tell us briefly how you and Dorinda met each other. I met my wife when she was eight years old. Oh, man. My dad was a minister, and we moved to the church that she participated in. Her mother and father were the youth directors in the church that we moved to. So I actually met her when she was eight years old. I was 15. You know, there was, there was, there was nothing, uh, there was nothing magic about the fact that I was 15 and she was eight, but we knew each other, and uh, we were good buddies. We knew each other really well. We, uh, we liked each other, dispositions matched, and because of the role that her parents played, that put me in touch with the family a lot. As a matter of fact, I told her dad when she was about 10, I said, isn't it a shame that there's so much difference in our ages because one of these days I might just marry your daughter. Nothing to that. It was just talk. But uh, years went by. I dated other girls, and uh, Dorinda graduated from high school and went to college. It just so happens that the, the college that she went to was in Nashville, Tennessee. I had a good friend, and he had already been at college for about three years, and I would call him and go up and visit with him on the weekends, and we would double date. <clears throat> so one day, Dorinda came home to visit with her parents one weekend, so I went by and I told her, I said, tell my friend Don that I'll be up in a couple of weeks, and to fix me up with this cute girl he keeps talking about. So... Sure enough, on that weekend, I drove to Nashville, and I went to the Student Union Center, and I didn't see my friend Don, but I saw Dorinda. And I said, hey, did you give Don my message, and does he have a date for me? She said, yes and yes. I gave him your message, and you do have a date. You're double dating with Don, you're going to the ball game, and after that, you're going out to eat, and all that kind of stuff. I said, great, tell me about the girl. She said, it's me. So she fixed me up with a date with herself, and I couldn't. <laughs> I said, are you telling the truth? She said, absolutely. So all of a sudden, here's this little eight-year-old girl that was far too young. All of a sudden now, she's grown. She's in college. Changes the picture totally. Thankfully. So we double-dated. We, uh, we went to her. It just so happened that her grandparents lived in Franklin, Tennessee, they were, uh, they were house parents for the Baptist Children's uh, Orphanage that they had. It was truly an orphanage back in that day, big brick buildings and dormitories and all that. And they lived with these little kids. And she said, you're not going to stay with, dorm, with Don in his dorm room. We're going to visit my grandparents in Franklin. And I'll stay in the apartment and you can stay in the guest room. And we did, and we played with the little kids all day the next day. But from that point on, we became, we got to know each other and date, and, and that fall, in October, we were married. So things move quickly. Yeah. Thank you, Harville. Round of applause for our half a couple. Here closest to me, we have Shane and Heather Stancil, and I'll kind of run you guys the same questions. How old were you when you got married? Uh, I was uh, 33. I was 27. And how long have you guys been married to each other? Ten blissful years. Ten years. How many kids? 
We have two. They're running around out there. Lily is six and Summer is four. Uh, so tell us briefly how you guys met each other. Okay. <laughs> if I give him this microphone, he'll be lucky. To <laughs> I'm nervous about what he'll say. Um, but this is good enough. Uh, we met at Victoria's Secret. <laughs> True story. True story. Um, I had uh, worked there before. I had, was working at the hospital, and I was graduating and getting ready to uh, do um, a summer mission for a month in Canada, and then I was moving to California to uh, attend seminary, Golden Gate, that's now Gateway Seminary. And um, I still knew the managers there, and they convinced me to come and work their summer sale. And so I was like, sure, I could use a few extra bucks. And so there was a new manager there that he had known for a long time, and we were working together one night, and him and his buddy came in the store to talk to her for a little while. And um, I was around, and he saw me, and he just had to get my number, right? <laughs> and so he asked her about me after that, and... Um, uh, and she, after that night, he came in, uh, my friend told me, man, I wish you were staying around because I think that y'all would be really good together. Y'all would hit it off. And so I was like, God, why do all the good ones come around at the worst times, right? And so, um, but he did ask, he, he asked her for my number and asked about me. And she said, well, you better get on it quick because she's leaving soon. And so he called me and said, hey, do you want to go out to eat or something? And I thought, I don't even know you, and, uh, but, um, you know, for fun, I'll get a free meal or whatever, and uh, we met for, it's, it's worth it, and uh, sometimes, I mean, and um, anyway, uh, so we met for coffee, though, because I wasn't ready for dinner. We met for coffee, and we ended up staying up and talking at the, I had to have an, I had to have an escape vehicle in case he was a creepo, and so um, I met him there, and we ended up hanging out and talking and talking and talking. And then um, I went to Canada and came back, and we talked some more and just liked each other. And then we decided, hey, I'm moving to California, but we like each other, and we're just going to see where it goes. So we dated long distance for about two and a half years and talked every night on the phone and um, saw each other about every three months and then moved back about two and a half more years later. I finally convinced him to ask me to marry him, so that was about it. So just so you guys know, Shane wasn't just creepily wandering around in Victoria's Secret. He actually had a legitimate reason for going in there. So a round of applause for our third couple, Shane and Heather. Uh, and, and just in case you didn't catch it or you haven't added up the math yet, between these three couples that we have here tonight, we have a combined 92 years of marriage experience uh, for you guys to glean some wisdom from tonight. Hopefully. So you guys have all been together with each other for an extended amount of time. You've obviously learned how to live with each other, uh, which isn't always an easy thing to figure out at first. Would we agree? So with that being said, I, I want to ask you guys this question just up for grabs. What was one of the most difficult adjustments that you had to overcome once you started living under the same roof with each other? The Absolutely. Lid. The toilet lid. Elaborate on the toilet lid a little uh, bit. Her family had this practice that, which y'all may too, but we didn't grow up that way, um, to put both lids down every time you go. Like, so if you get up in the middle of the night, guys, there's no lights. I mean, come on. You know. <laughs> that was a big adjustment. So we made a compromise. I don't leave it up if she'll leave the, that one up. <laughs> so I'll put the lid compromise. down. That was a threat, and I just conceded. <laughs> Any other adjustments from our other couples? What was your biggest adjustment you had to make? Just giving up your space. Yeah. You know, just uh, being your own person, being independent, and doing the things that you love to do without having to ask or tell anybody about. You know, but now you've got to consider... What's going on in the house, and, and uh, uh, I could just how considerate have I got to be of her? So really, it gets tight. For example, the first week, I didn't sleep any. I wasn't used to sleeping with somebody. I just had to get used to sleeping in the bed with somebody. It's a fact, and I lost a lot of sleep. Yeah. Real life struggles, guys. Some of this stuff you may not have ever even thought of, and you're like, man, I can't wait to get married one day. 
you hear about these people making these adjustments, you're like, well, maybe marriage can wait for another seven or eight years, possibly. <laughs> so, uh, Carter, is any adjustments that you had to make? Um, probably. I was a college student when Steve and I got married, so I moved from my parents' house, and we moved because I was a student at UNA and Steve was coaching. We moved into married student housing, so that, number one, was a big adjustment, just coming from parents' home to that. But... Um, I don't, I think one thing that probably stands out in my mind, I went and bought groceries, was trying to adjust to learning to cook and those kind of things. And Steve came home, opened the refrigerator, and he was like, oh my word, what's in the refrigerator? And I ran in there, and it was the wrong kind of grape jelly. He grew up buying this one certain kind, and we bought another, and it was like, are you kidding? So watch that grape jelly stuff. Yeah. <laughs> And I got real used to drinking grape Kool-Aid. I never had grape Kool-Aid in my life. But the biggest adjustment for me, just to add to that, was uh, I've been on my own since I was 22. I was 28 when I got married. And, uh, you know, I'd been coaching football at UNA after I finished playing there and had an apartment and all that kind of stuff. And you, get, you live by yourself, and you get used to uh, taking care of yourself. And the hardest part uh, to me was learning how to give myself totally to my wife. And I'm sure that same thing goes for her, that learn how to give yourself totally to the other person, to your spouse. And like I told her when we, when we dated before we got married, this is not going to be a 50-50 relationship. This is going to be 100-100. And I'm going to give you 100% whether you give me anything or not. And, and that's the way we're going to live our lives. And so, you know, sharing the toothpaste, she don't put the top back on the toothpaste. I always did, you know, and, and, and just little things like that, you get used to them, but it's totally got to be 100% give yourself to your spouse. How'd that 100-100 work out for you, Meyer? <laughs> yeah, uh, a great example of how well 100-100 works out, and hopefully that sounds familiar uh, to most of you guys from last week. So last week we discussed... Uh, and our message, the roles and responsibilities of the husband and, and wife, as they're laid out in Scripture by God. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, where Paul, in writing to the church of the Ephesus, uh, explains what God expects out of a godly husband and a godly wife within a godly marriage. Uh, and specifically, you know, we outline what the roles and responsibilities of the wives were, as well as the husband. So, Myra, Heather, I'll kind of direct this question toward you guys. You know, wives are told to submit to their husbands. Uh, which in today's culture is translated in a negative manner uh, oftentimes of you're inferior, you're insignificant, you're less than, uh, you're not important in the relationship. And so culture, unfortunately, society, unfortunately, has put a negative spin on what God would consider to be a respectful and honorable term and role in the relationship. So what does it mean to you ladies to be a submissive wife? And how does that actually look within your marriage? And is this something that you've ever honestly just struggled with? I struggle with it. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think as a believer, submission is something that should really characterize all our lives. So when we see it as women, we first go, but really, when you look at the Bible as a whole, submission is something that Christ asks of all of us to serve and to submit to um, the Lord's authority. So in the family, um, and it is something that I struggle with because uh, being raised, um, my dad, uh, we, it was me and my sister, so he was a father of two girls, and I felt like he thought it was his mission to make sure we were very independent. And he'd always tell me, you don't need no boyfriend. And, um, you know, you don't, you don't need to worry about that. You just take care of yourself. And, um, and so since we didn't get married till both of us were out of school and, um, you know, completely on our own, um, when I was 27, I was very independent. So that was a big change to, it's not just about me anymore. It's about us and it's about we. So submitting to him is, you know, when we're making decisions, when we're doing things, then I have to, I have to go to him. And I have to respect what his um, thoughts are and decisions are. And ultimately, he is the head of the household. 
And um, being a, a, an independent woman as I am, sometimes I do struggle with that, and that's difficult because that means uh, putting some of my desires aside uh, to be respectful of him and just knowing that God's going to take care of all that. That's something that I might not be completely happy with. We're, we're going to get through it, and God's going to get us through those things, and we'll just keep talking about it and working through them. Good answer. Um, <clears throat> I do agree with Brother Trey that that is a negative in the society. People want you to think by being submissive that means that uh, they dust their feet off on you or they tell you exactly what to do. And that's not the case at all. It is me showing respect for Steve and his opinion and respecting the things that he, um, that he has to value too because him being funny. But um, there are many times in our relationship that I've gone to him for advice, or I've said, what do you think about this? And I will respect that. I will not mind is not the right word, but I will take into great consideration the things that he's saying. And it is totally scriptural that God would allow him to be the covering for us and our family. And that was a great influence on raising two girls as well. So I value that. And I will also just put out there that men need that. When you disrespect a man, it is very, very detrimental to them. So ladies, think of that one day when you are in the marriage situation that you do need to show the respect. It's very important. Thank you, wives. Uh, husbands, your turn. Because we didn't just stop with discussing the wives' roles and responsibilities within the marriage, we also covered the husband who has the bulk of the responsibility. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul dedicates three verses uh, in that passage to the wives. He dedicates nine verses uh, to the men, to the husbands. So obviously the bulk of the responsibility within a household is upon the men. Uh, so we talked about how the men is not just to be the physical leader of the home. It's not just simply your job to provide and to protect and to support. It's your job to lead the home spiritually as well. Now, So with that being said, husbands, what are some things that you do maybe, or wish you had done, because all of us would attest that our marriages by no means are perfect. Uh, we still work and we still learn, even after being married for 50 years. I'm sure Harville can tell you there are still things that he is learning and things that he looks back and wish he would have done differently. So what are some things, guys, that you do or that you had done to lead your home spiritually, and what advice do you have for the future leaders of the household here tonight? I'd just say I'm still learning. Um, and we've been married 10 years, but um, I still struggle with that. Um, now, with two girls, um, you know, it's on my mind a lot, though, uh, because I want to be an example to them uh, and to my wife. Um, you know, she's talking about um, struggling with submiss submissiveness, and, uh, um, you know, I struggle with the other um, because my heart is to want to provide for them and do and them have the things they want and uh, sometimes I feel like that's that that ultimately doesn't always come to be the answer um, I mean we've had some decisions come up recently that um, you know I ultimately had the the final decision and I it was hard for me because I wanted to please her but but I couldn't um, I just felt like that uh, um, God was telling me otherwise. Um, so I, I still struggle with that. Um, you know, there's, my wife is awesome at being with our young girls and, uh, you know, giving, you know, doing devotions with them and uh, praying with them at night, you know, and, um, you know, I try to do some things with them too, but uh, uh, she's so much better at it than me. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, just, want to be better and you know I, I don't know what else to say really it's easy I think sometimes for us as men to do a better job on the physical side of things because those are more tangible so to speak those are things that we can see those are things we feel like we have more of a control over uh, and oftentimes because we get so focused on taking care of things physically within our home spiritually things will take a back seat sometimes and this is something that man actually even in our relationship has struggled with so don't think that you guys, your struggles are unique because I can testify even as a pastor that 
oftentimes in my house, I don't lead my life spiritually the way that I should and the standards that I should be living up to. And ultimately, we can't without the help of the Spirit of God. So thank you, Shane, for your honesty there, Brother Harville. Any input? Yeah. First of all, let's back up to the other question about submissive wives. My wife extends her regrets that she could not be here. You would have loved her. She's vivacious and dynamic. But uh, her mother had uh, emergency eye surgery about four hours before this event, and um, there's no way she could be here. She's with her now, having to stay with her. But I'm in awe at the spiritual depth of my wife, truly in awe of that. And another thing that I'm in awe of is the fact that she honors me as the spiritual leader of our household. It gives me a great deal of pride for her to come to me and seek my guidance and counsel because she genuinely appreciates the, the husband as the leader, spiritual leader of the house. Now, in, in answer to this next question about uh, what are some things that you do or wish you had done, I think about that a lot. And, and, and you know, as a husband, that is just one of the roles of my life. It's one of the hats that I wear. I'm also a son. I'm also a father. I'm also a neighbor. I'm a churchman. I'm an employee. All of those things. And in my spiritual walk, it is so terribly important for me to be faithful, especially in the role of spouse. You know, I made a vow. When I got married, I took a vow before God and before family and before my wife and in front of friends that I would always be true and be faithful and always honor her. So to be faithful, for my kids to see me live a life that's faithful, for the people that I work with to see me live the life, a life that is faithful, but more important to that, the most important thing in my life is for my wife to know me as a faithful Christian man and uh, to be faithful to our kids. Amen. Thank you, brother. Steve, anything that you'd like to add? Yeah, um, it's definitely a learning process. Like I said, I, I got saved in 1985, and this beautiful young lady here was, was uh, saved as a kindergartner, I think, when she was like five. She knew a whole lot more about the Bible and about Jesus than I did when we got married. Uh, you know, I was on fire. I was a new Christian, and, and when we dated, we prayed every time we went out. I dated her for six months before I ever kissed her. That wasn't her fault. I just was scared of her. You know, and, and I've never had been in a Christian relationship before. Uh, I've been in a lot of relationships, but not a Christian relationship. And, but we prayed together, and, and of course, she, she was submissive. Like we get back to the other question, she was lovingly let me uh, be the leader, try to be the leader. Sometimes I would stumble. She would lovingly offer a hand and, and, and help me up when I stumble and fall sometimes. Uh, it's like when you get married and the mashed potatoes are put before you and the fried chicken, I get ready to dig in. She said, aren't you going to pray first? Oh, yeah. You know, you forget things like that. And, uh, but like I say, she was a lot more experienced with that, that sort of thing, with uh, being a Christian, uh, really leader, because she was, I didn't say this part a while ago, but she was dating the youth director at First Baptist Muscle Shows uh, when I met her, and uh, uh, she was c kind of a co-worker with him, she, and there's a big church with a big youth department, and so she'd been a, in Christian leadership for a long time, and uh, I was a brand new Christian. Of course, I won out in the end, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that's the way I'd always get my college jobs. They'd ask me if I could recruit, and when, when that question came up when I was interviewing, I'd say, honey, come on in now. <laughs> you, you got the job, son. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> uh, but but we prayed together uh, constantly every day. I, I can't think of a day that that we didn't uh, pray together and and read the Bible together most days, most every day, as as when we dated and when we got married. And uh, and I tried to make sure it was my ideal because I knew I was studying about it and I was learning about that the man is supposed to be the Christian, uh, the leader, the spiritual leader in his household. And by the time we had children, I think I had assumed that role pretty good. But it's a learning process.
It is, and I think, you know, for a lot of you guys that are sitting in the room tonight, some of you are married, some of you aren't, some of you are looking towards marriage, you may think, man, this list, this, these roles, these responsibilities that God expects out of me, it's, it's kind of demanding, it's kind of intimidating in a lot of ways, and all these guys would attest to that, but I, wanted, I hope you notice one common theme in their answer is that it wasn't this them going at it alone. Each and every one of them had a support system that came from where? They're wise. So wise, it's not necessarily your job to assume leadership spiritually, but it is your job to support your husband spiritually. And as you do so, you will see that growth take place in his life as he continues to pursue the things of God in his life. So thank you guys for your input on that. Uh, changing gears a little bit, now something that's interesting with this generation, I think, is that they're marrying at a later age than all previous generations before them. So the average age of marriage for women for you guys' generation is 27 years old. Uh, the average age of a man is 29 years old. And it seems that, for the most part, they appear to suffer from separation anxiety to some extent when it comes to leaving the house. Uh, in essence, it boils down to this. This generation, and I'm not indicting you guys or anything like that, but your generation as a whole is marrying later and staying home longer. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, when we talked about this, it talks about how we're to leave our parents and hold fast to our spouse. So why do you guys think that it's so imperative that your marriage relationship be given priority over all other relationships in your life? Uh, that's a great question. I think um, it's super important. I know that when you have friendships and you have strong family bonds, you want to continue those things for certain. But you do have to form a bond with your spouse in such a way <clears throat> that you don't allow time to cross over from other demands onto your marriage time. That doesn't mean that you just become the two of y'all and isolate everyone else. But I think it's really important to set some boundaries and know that you've got to nurture that new relationship and help grow that. Dorinda, do you have anything? <laughs> Myra must have hit the ball out of the park right there. Uh, well, we were, both, we were both older. I mean, we married at that older age, and we were both living on our own, so it, I didn't really feel like that was an issue with us um, because we, I mean... We cut the cord a long time ago. We were, we were already independent, very independent individually, and so coming together. Um, and, and I think there's, there's, there's things that you have to deal with on both sides, depending on when you marry. I think when you marry younger, um, uh, that's great, because there's a lot of things you don't have to deal with because you marry younger. You don't have to deal with a long list, necessarily, of relationships that you've been through and smashed. And then uh, if you marry older, sometimes you have a lot more baggage that comes with that. Um, but I think for us, one of the things, um, we both brought things with us into the marriage, but um, because we were older for us, it was easier, I think. We didn't, people would, we'd always hear stories of, oh, our first year of marriage was just, oh. And um, for us, it was, it was really easy. It wasn't something that was, uh, that was very difficult for us or a trying time. And I think that was because some of those things we had already dealt with. Um, but there's, there's good and bad things to both sides of that. I would say this, that, that the marriage or relationship, the question was, uh, why is it so imperative that your marriage relationship be given priority above all other relationships? Obviously, when you leave home, you cut the apron strings. You know, to this day, my mother-in-law influences my marriage. Where do you think my spouse is right now? <laughs> <laughs> She's with my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law takes credit for the marriage. She said it exists because I prayed it into existence. I prayed the two of you would get married. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to cut those apron strings with, with parents on either side of the family. But I think more importantly what this question relates to is within the family. It's awful easy for me to give priority to my son or to my daughter. 
because they're young and youthful and they need their dad and, and I'm their hero, you know, that kind of a thing. But let me just tell you that when you get married, if you're going to forget somebody's birthday, let it be your son or your daughter <laughs> or your mother or your mother-in-law. Don't forget your wife. Okay. Let her be the one that you put the priority on. And that goes with everything because let's face it, you mentioned it. Your wife is, is a uh, huge support. The husband is also a huge support. It takes teamwork. And if either one of those relationships are, are neglected by the other, then that marriage is less than it should be. Thank you, Brother Harville. Uh, I know that oftentimes people uh, that me and Ashley are friends with, you guys, you have arguments from time to time in your marriage. Would we agree? Never? No. It's a loaded question, right? Uh, you all have disagreements. You all have arguments that come up from time to time. And there are couples that we know that actually uh, went through a struggle at times because whenever they would have an argument or a disagreement, one of them would leave and go to their parents' house. Uh, so can you see how that would be detrimental to the relationship because things aren't being worked out between you guys? and your priority is not solely upon your relationship to each other. Uh, so you have to learn to work those things out together, right? And it's hard to do that if you don't prioritize your relationships and you have other relationships that you go running off to when things get tough, when things get hard, because marriages do encounter difficulties and they do encounter hardships, and there are times when you simply have to be dependent upon one another to work through those situations, to work through those circumstances. So that's why I think it's extremely important that we make sure that our marriage relationship is top priority uh, in our lives. And I thank you, Harville, for bringing that up about your kids uh, because that can be a real struggle as well, I can only imagine. So thank you guys for, for sharing your insight on that as well. Uh, one other thing that I want to cover with you guys, and then we're going to take some questions that these beautiful people have asked and wanted to know, uh, is the issue of divorce. Now, divorce is something that so many people uh, are affected by. Stats show nowadays that somewhere around 40% of marriages experience a divorce. And divorce is something that doesn't just affect the couple, it affects the family as well, as I'm sure many of you in this room can uh, testify to. So in Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus is having a dialogue with the Pharisees, and they actually ask him a question about divorce, and Jesus states that a man should not separate what God has joined together. So I would say that longevity and marriage in our current society has become a thing of the past. Now, marriages just don't last for a lifetime anymore. So what steps have you taken as a couple to what we called a couple weeks ago to cement your marriage, to hold it together? What, is, what have you done that has kept you guys going for 10 years, for 50 years, for 32 years? How are you making your marriages last? Well, first of all, for us, <clears throat> divorce was never an option. The Bible says that God hates divorce. In the culture that my wife and I were raised in, we both had a strong background that taught that uh, you just work it out. You stick it out. Even though things do get tough and, and uh, there are some pretty deep misunderstandings, you just work it out. But... <clears throat> One of the things that I think is the most important thing that a couple can do, and it, it applies to both spouses, and that is to create an atmosphere of safety so that each person in that union can feel free to be vulnerable and expose their soft, tender underside and, not, and, and know that they're not going to be ridiculed about it or will be laughed at or made fun of. But, but a safe environment where either party feels safe to share honestly exactly what the issues are. Thank you, Brenda. We'd be proud. <laughs> um, I think Steve and I early on decided that we would really work on communication and that we would set boundaries. Um, as I said, I was a student and he was already working. So other relationships with females, me with males, even emotionally, not connecting with other people, super important. We hold each other accountable. 
we discuss stuff like that. Um, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Satan would love to destroy a Christian marriage just like everybody sitting up here, and that will be for you as well one day. Um, so you have to be extremely proactive in that, knowing that there are things that you are going to come up against and just trying to be truthful and honest about things, keeping it open and communicating. And I love what Harville said, just making that a safe environment when there's things that do need to be discussed. Sometimes they are hard, and you just have to do it. Okay, write this down. You ready? Get a babysitter. Okay, we've got one right out there. After this is over, we're going to slip out back for a little while. She doesn't know that yet. But just get a babysitter. Leave the kids for a little while. And what I say that for, I say that jokingly, but because you just have to spend time with your spouse, especially most marriages end in that three- to five-year range. That's enough to have young kids because having young kids is really hard. Um, it's exhausting. Somebody told us when we were pregnant with Lily, I think, uh, stopped us in Walmart, and I was very pregnant, so it wasn't kind of one, it was obvious. And he said, um, you know, congratulations. He says, that's the hardest thing you'll ever love to do. And uh, that's just something that's set with both of us. Um, but it's, it also changes everything about your relationship. So just to get us past those years, get a babysitter. All these couples... I know personally, and I can tell you guys that the foundation of their marriage is built upon Christ as that rock. All these other things that we can give you, all these other tips, all these other uh, pieces of advice that we can give you, you know, spend time together, uh, communication, uh, making a safe environment, all those things are good and well, but any ordinary couple can do those very same things. The key difference is, is having your relationship built upon that foundation of Jesus Christ and understanding in his word what he expects, what he commands from a godly marriage. I like what Harville said at the beginning, divorce was never an option for them. Uh, that says a lot from the get-go of your marriage if you make that commitment to where divorce is never going to be an option. And there may be other couples that experience divorce that would have said the same thing. But ultimately, it's your responsibility to nurture that relationship. It's your responsibility, like we said, we use the, the illustration of cement, uh, mixing the rock and the sand together, pouring the water over it that creates the bond. Uh, you bring a man and a woman together, and you pour God all over that relationship, and it creates an inseparable bond that will last for 10 years, for 50 years, for 32 years. And I hope that's what you guys want. If, you, if your idea of marriage is just something that you'd like to try out for about 10 or 15 years, then it's not for you. Marriage is for a lifetime. And it can last for a lifetime. As long as you put the right principles around it and you safeguard it with what you find in this book, uh, God will protect your marriage. And that's not to say that it won't face hardship. That's not to say that it won't face difficulty. Uh, but he can bring you through those things. And you can have a marriage that lasts. Uh, regardless of what kind of home you even came from. Some of you think you're already behind the eight ball just because you come out of a family background that's already experienced divorce after divorce after divorce. Can I just encourage you tonight, be the, be the one that breaks the trend. Uh, set a new standard for marriage within your families. All right, so thank you guys for answering those questions. I know they were tough, and I appreciate you guys being honest with them. Uh, what may be even more tough uh, are the questions that these guys want to ask. Uh, so uh, we're kind of running short on time, so we'll just we'll breeze through these. Uh, pretty quick, briefly with your responses, because I want you guys to have an opportunity to uh, leave them with one piece of advice also as we leave tonight. So I'll direct these questions more uh, specifically to each of you. So Harville, I'll start with you, and I hate Dorinda isn't here to uh, help you out with this, but one of the students have asked, and all these questions are anonymous, I don't know who asked what, uh, but one of the ones that I came across was, how did you know for sure that you had found the one? Well, you know what? <clears throat> Before I got married, I thought a lot about it, and I actually uh, did a balance sheet. And I put the pros on one side and the cons on the other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm as serious as I can be. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, look at this. Not only is this girl cute, not only does she have all the things that I love in a person, but uh, we've got the same uh, religious background. Our economic background is very, very similar. 
my parents and her parents were good friends. There was so much in common. But let me tell you <clears throat> that even though you've found the right one and you're certain of it and you're smitten, and you'll know it in your heart, you're just smitten. Marriage is like walking on the beach. <clears throat> and you take the time like I did to pump up the little rubber mat that you're gonna lay on when you get out there, and you do your balance sheet, and so you're walking along the beach and you see the waves coming in and you walk out, and before you can even get to the place where you can put your mat in the water, a wave comes along and knocks you down, mat it on. You regather and you say, hey, I'm gonna keep trying this, and you get a little deeper in the water, and the next thing you know, another wave comes along and knocks the mat completely out from under you before you even got stretched out on it. Marriage is like that. There'll be situation after situation that you never could possibly have anticipated. It's very important that you've found somebody that you know God has meant for you to marry. How do you know that? It's a gut feeling. You pray about it. You go to God in prayer and ask him to reveal to you. If you're wrong, close the door on that opportunity. Shut the door. Get me out of this. Don't let it happen. And, you know, you just come to a place where you've got to trust that God has led you to where you I believe that God engineers our circumstances, and that involves with the person that you want to marry. Thank you, Harwell. Next question, we'll go to the Carters. Uh, and this person wants to know, how do you spend or make use of your free time? Well, we like to, we like to travel, and uh, we like to walk together, and we, we walk together most every day. We like to ride bicycles and go to the beach, and uh, uh, we like to study the Word together, and we like to pray together. We pray every night uh, when we lay down in bed or try to. We don't, one don't go to sleep before the other one does. Uh, sometimes that happens. Uh, but she always tells me when I go to sleep for her that she prayed for me the next morning, so that's good. But uh, you do too. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've rode over and seen my wife on her knees beside, my, beside me. I was about to choke up. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, the, the, yeah, we love our grandchildren. We have two grandsons and... and uh, we, we love going to see them and them coming to see us. And we love our daughters. We like going to see them and our son-in-laws. Uh, yeah, we just love going, uh, going places. Uh, she loves to shop. I hate to shop. But uh, I go shopping with her. But I don't do much shopping. A lot of times I sit in the car and wait on her. <laughs> Thank you, Carters. Uh, next question will go to the Stancils. A real, real deep and profound question is, how do you know who sleeps on which side of the bed? Well, we kind of debated about this question because uh, we really couldn't remember. <laughs> um, there were several things that we thought of. Um, uh, first thought was uh, security. Um, I want to be by the door so if something happens. Um, then second priority was the bathroom. <laughs> She needs to be closer to it, the bathroom. And uh, now, we've actually switched places since we've gotten married, uh, and it's because of kids, um, because she became closer to the door <laughs> because of kids. But, he doesn't wake up. Yes, sir. No, I I so your <laughs> circumstances that have changed throughout your marriage have changed which side of the bed you actually lay on. Absolutely. So I can relate. I sleep on the side closest to the door uh, for the same reason that you just gave. If somebody comes in the house, I'm going to be the first person they deal with, uh, not my wife. So those of you that are curious how you pick which side of the bed, it just depends on if you married a real man or not. Uh, so, all right, next question. Uh, we'll go back to you, Harville, for this one. Uh, just in case you guys were curious, about 85% of the entire questions that were submitted had to do with one of two things. Uh, one was, how do you know that you found the right one? And the other one was, how do you handle disagreements or arguments? And so this question is for you, Harville. It says, what is the best way to work out a fight? How do you handle your disagreements and your arguments? Thank you, Trey. I wrote down a scripture. 
that is, is very important to me. It says, Pro this is Proverbs 12 and 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. So my advice to the gentleman in this room is <clears throat> that don't believe everything you see and everything you hear and everything you feel about the situation that your wife has caused you to be aggravated about. And here's why. <clears throat> we fellows look through a set of glasses with a different tint. Girls have a pair of glasses that have got kind of a pinkish tint. Ours may be a dark gray. <clears throat> so what we see, hear, and think is not always the way it is. Until you've ex taken the time. You know, uh, Stephen Covey says it best. Seek first to understand before being understood. It's important. Everybody in the world wants to be understood. If she could just see my side of the story. Well, in this case, it's not about your side of the story right now. Hers first. If you'll dig deep enough, if you'll dig, dig deep enough to understand where she's coming from, you'll be amazed at uh, how it'll change how you actually see things. So be careful how you uh, respond to what you think and what you hear and what you uh, might be a bad situation for you. I think that's a great answer, Absolutely. brother, for sure. And uh, you guys, I hope, if, I hope if you're taking notes, even if you weren't taking notes, you took notes on that question. That was a great answer. Next one goes back to the Carters. Uh, this person wants to know, what is your biggest struggle as a Christian married couple? Probably time together sometimes is uh, with Steve's job and mine and just working the dynamics. Oftentimes things push in, so I think that is a struggle to make sure that you keep your priorities, um, walking with God and making sure that you value that relationship with your spouse. Um, I think it's been a little bit of a struggle, I know, uh, with working at the church because typically we always came to church together. We rode together, we taught Sunday school together. When I came here to Underwood, we come separately. I'm in a certain role and he would bring the kids and we'd come from there, so that's been a little bit. But I do think, really looking back to the very beginning, and that would be probably the best piece of advice for y'all, would be to make sure that you maintain your relationship with Christ before your relationship with your spouse, and that pays off in both ways. You're walking with Christ close, then you'll be easier and more able to have a stronger relationship with your spouse. And I know this too, Myra, because you married a coach who has done quite a bit of moving around in this area. Uh, that's not easy. Uh, you talked about having difficulty spending time with each other. Uh, there are some people in this room that might find themselves in a similar relationship one day. Uh, how have you and Steve kind of managed uh, you staying supportive of your husband and his profession, even though it has required uh, you guys to encounter some difficulty with him being in different positions at different locations at times. Yeah, that's been a lot of sacrifice on several occasions. We've actually, he would live in Pelham. <clears throat> we rented a house there, had our house here. I'd go down on Wednesdays. He'd come home on after ball games. So you do what you have to to make that work because that was a priority, of course, for us. Let me, let me, I'm going to add, were you through? I want to add to that. Uh, one reason I've moved around here, and I have moved around in Mississippi, been several jobs over in Mississippi, and still lived in Florence, Alabama. Uh, I'm currently working at a job in Athens, Alabama, traveling every day, still living in Florence, Alabama. I worked in Birmingham for two years, uh, still lived in Florence, Alabama. Uh, like I said, it's coming out on Wednesday. But I'm going to tell you, uh, it's part of uh, putting Christ first is what what she said is right because when I first got into coaching I had all these big dreams and goals you know that I was going to go here and I'm going to take her by the hand when she got in the picture and take her with me but God had another plan and this job that Myra's in here is so important to us and 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 to our relationship with God and I've made a lot of sacrifices and not took a lot of jobs that I could have taken and had to move my family to another town or another city. And 
just because it wasn't what God wanted us to do as a family. It ain't about me. It's about the family. Thank you, Myron. Thank you, Steve. Uh, next question. Back to the stencils. And I apologized in advance for this one, but somebody had to get it. And you guys just seem to be the right ones. Uh, anonymous question. This person wants to know, what about sex? How much is too much? How do you make it godly? Is there a line between being holy and enjoying God's gift of sex? So let's hear what the stencils have to say about <laughs> sex. How much is too much? <laughs> How much is too much? Uh, if you need medical attention, that's probably a little much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I don't know. How much is enough? I don't know. Um, how do you, let's talk about how to keep it holy, godly. That sounds like a good okay. angle there. Hey, camp out um, there just a little. Camp out there just a little. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Guys always want more, okay? Hey, Amen. <laughs> um, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. You are in the doghouse. He don't turn it down, so that's good. But, uh, Cut the mic, Matt. Uh, Cut it. Cut this one. <laughs> I, think, I think the thing about um, sex in this generation and, and over the years is anything that God creates, Satan wants to mess up. Mm. He, wants to, he wants to blow it to pieces. And so I think um, it's very important uh, when you're thinking about godly versus <sighs> ungodly sex is to realize what God gave versus what the world presents. Uh, because this world worships sex, it idolizes it, and it gives you that idea that you need all of these things um, and that, that wasn't there in the beginning. And um, I don't think that there's, there's not a whole lot in scripture that talks specifically about what a man and a woman uh, can't do together in their relationship. One line that is very clear in terms of ungodly is when you start involving other people outside of your relationship, be it through pornography or be it through extramarital affairs or anything like that. That's a clear line, clear line. Don't go there, run from it, protect your marriage. People talk all the time, uh, I've seen this meme several times that, well, the grass looks greener on the other side. Uh, well, quit looking over the fence and water your grass. Um, just you know, take care of your relationships. Um, don't abstain from uh, one another, but for a time and for spiritual needs. So I think the Bible is very clear about certain things to keep your marriage relationship um, godly. Um, but other than that, I mean, between a man and a woman, you're married, it's free reign. As long as you communicate about it as well. Uh, that's one other thing that I would say is that one thing you have to be mindful is in our society, there's, um, and, and maybe even in this room, there may be people that have suffered sexual abuse or molestation in their life. And so that changes the whole picture. So you have to be able to talk about that with your partner. You have to be able to communicate what you're, com what you're comfortable with and um, what's okay in your relationship. So communication about that is where you have to start. Thank you. Uh, I think you guys did a great job with answering what can be a delicate topic. Uh, and let me tell you guys, and you guys know I don't, it's not something that I shy away from, but I just want to give you this uh, kind of as a party note when it pertains to sex. The world doesn't know how to enjoy sex. It may tell you that it does. It may present it as a way in which that it does. But I promise you the world does not know how to enjoy sex. God knows how you should enjoy sex because he is the designer and he is the creator of it, and he knows it better than anyone else could ever portray it to you. So if you want to enjoy sex the way in which it's supposed to be enjoyed in its fullness, go by his design, and you can't mess it up. And you also cannot be hurt by it. So thank you guys for answering that. One more question from the students, uh, Harville, because uh, I think this is kind of a fun one, and then we'll wrap it up for tonight. But uh, this person wants to know, what is something that you wish you would have known about your spouse before you got married? I pretty much knew everything about her. I've knew her since she was eight years old. 
But when I look back on, on my marriage, you remember now, this is, this is for people that, that are a little, maybe they're a little older than their spouse. Like, I'm eight years her senior. And, you know, I had a lot more life experiences than she did when we got married. I'd been in the Army. I had a college degree by this time. I had a full-time job. I didn't ever voice this to myself or never did I say it to her or anybody else. But now that I look back on it, I didn't give my wife credit for, the, for how smart she is. I didn't realize how intelligent my wife was. And it, and it simply didn't occur to me that her judgment could ever be as mature as mine. So quite frankly, that showed itself in a lot of different ways. And what it did, it caused my wife then to struggle to prove herself. She worked hard. It was the source of a lot of conflict. And I was too boneheaded to see it. I just didn't understand it. But time went on. We both came to a very clear knowledge about it. Thank you, brother. Uh, so just to finish up, uh, we're going to bring it down to a close. But I want you guys, uh, starting with uh, Heather, you and Shane, if you had one word of advice uh, to give to the future husbands and wives in the room tonight, what would it be? Marriage is not the end-all, be-all. It's not our goal in life. Um, it is not promised to us. Um, and if it's not marriage that you're seeking after, it's going to be something else. Um, your future job, your future occupation is not the end-all, be-all. If you get married, um, it, it always happens where, where there's always maybe struggles in pregnancy and things like that because then the, the, the thing shifts from, oh, I want to be married to, oh, maybe I want to have kids. God, can I have kids? Why, why is everybody else having kids and I can't have kids? And so if it's not one thing, it's something else. And so we're spending all this time talking about marriage, but that's not the end-all, be-all. And one of the conversations we've had a lot, even in the office recently and um, uh, in the circles that we are in our church, is that Jesus has to be enough in your life. Jesus has to be enough in your life. Um, because those things, all of those other things, are, are not the end. That's not the goal in our life. Uh, one of the things that we were told in our marital counseling um, uh, with uh, his, former, his former pastor was, um, you know, just seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things are going to be added unto you. And, um, and if there's a desire that you have that you don't get, is Jesus enough? He needs to be enough in your life because that's where it all starts and finishes. That's our goal is to seek Jesus. Thank you, Heather. Uh, Harville, same question to you. Uh, yeah, you have one I, word I, of advice to give to them. Yeah, th thank you, Heather. I agree with that wholeheartedly. If your foundation isn't focused on Jesus Christ, your marriage is going to be in trouble in a lot of different ways. But if there's any one thing that I could particularly leave with this group, it would be that everybody wants to be understood. <clears throat> we think we understand, but we don't. In order to understand, you have to learn to be empathetic. You have to have empathy. In order to do that, you need to develop a skill set. Learn how to see life from the other person's perspective. That means you've got to crawl inside their head. You've got to see exactly where they're coming from. You've got to put yourself there. You may not agree with them, but you've got to figure out why it is they feel the way they do, and I feel differently about the way they do. Hey, you want to learn that skill set? Google it. Look up for skill sets for empathy. Thank you, Brother Arnold. Uh, Carters, if you had um, one word of advice, what right, would it be? Mine would be, guys, don't settle. Please don't settle. There is a, tons of opportunities for y'all to just make a poor decision. It's been my experience in counseling and even being married. Satan usually brings his best, which is the counterfeit, before God brings his. So hold on and wait for that right one. I, I, I would just say keep God first. That's the, that's the whole gist of the whole thing tonight is make sure God is. We, we serve a jealous God. God wants to be first in our lives. Guys, before you ask her to marry you, make sure you seek God first. Girls, before you accept, 
make sure you seek God first. Before you do anything in your marriage, after you're married, before you have children, be sure and seek God first. If you'll keep God first, he'll give you the desires of your heart. I can vouch for that. All right, let's give our couples a round of applause. Thanks again so much, guys, for being here tonight and for pouring your experience, for pouring your wisdom and things that God has taught you in your relationships onto our lives tonight. I know that I've been blessed by it, and I hope that you guys have been uh, as well, not just by tonight, but by you know the entirety of this series that we've been in. It's been a long one. But it's something that we don't do all that often. So I wanted to make sure that you guys got it from one end of the spectrum to the other. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. We were tremendously blessed to hear from these godly couples as they shared their wisdom on how they honor God in their relationships. As our series comes to an end, our prayer is that you have learned how to look for and live out a godly relationship. Be sure to tune back in next week as we begin a new series of messages.